Do you lie awake and ponder ponds of microscopic life? Expose yourself to exoplanets high up in the night? Are you crazed for kinematics? Do you fantasize of fauna? Everybody's got a question, luckily we're gonna Unpack the stack of facts that you think back to every day Attack your ignorance, you'll be unmatched in every way Sit down and lend an ear, all the answers will be clear I'm running out of rhymes, I'll let the host take it from here Hey Ellie, real easy question for you here. What do you know about DNA? Uh, a, a lot, Nick. I'm, I'm an expert in DNA. Would you say it's like a major field of focus for you? Yeah, I'm a geneticist. That's my job. So you spend, <laughs> you spend a lot of time like understanding the, the, the history and like how, how we've sort of come to understand DNA as it stands. Yeah, there was a whole like part of a class on it. A full class it. on it. Yeah. Okay. And, uh... So I, I feel like DNA was a subject I struggled with a lot in high school, especially when they were trying to, like, it was just, it was so many different, like, terms and words, and it, it felt like more of a vocab class to me at the time. So, and the only thing I, I really remember taking away from my, my entry-level high school science biology class was that there were these two men who discovered uh, the DNA and the, the helix strands as we know them. That was, that was the main focus of what we were taught. So uh, is, is that what we're going to be talking about today? I mean, we're we're gonna talk about them. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we're definitely gonna talk about Watson and Crick. Already, we can name can... drop them. However, <laughs> you're holding back already. I'm trying to I'm trying trying to set you up. I'm like I'm setting up the tee ball. I've put the ball there. I've given you the bat, and I'm I'm waiting for you to swing, Ellie. That's what I'm doing. Let me put it this way: uh, Watson and Crick are like the Palpatine of the DNA universe. I'm gonna try to use a Star Wars narrative to weave in how I feel. Um, I didn't know that was that the route. Okay. Palpatine is present throughout mm -hmm. a lot of modern history of DNA, and Agreed. then weirdly they come back up in the sequels, and we kind of have no idea why. And it feels very forced, and you're like, I guess we're hearing his voice again for some reason. Yeah, Watson like, and Crick are speaking. You you know them from the 50s and 60s when they, uh, and I'm gonna put this in quotations, discovered the double mm -hmm. helix. They didn't discover the double helix. Um, we're getting we're gonna ourselves. get into that, but they um, there's some of their legacy comes back mm -hmm. up in the 2010s that we'll also discuss today, and that's what I'm saying is like the comeback mm -hmm. of Watson Crick. Right. As a, well, at that point it was it's just Watson. Watson's well, Watson really the Palpatine because he comes okay. back. So Crick is like the the Anakin where he does in fair. I get, I don't want to say he has a full I, face turn at the end, but he. He admits that his ex-partner is kind of a jerk, getting way, way ahead of ourselves here. Yeah, so we're, we're going to set up the Star Wars metaphor and I think keep coming back to it is basically my plan, is to kind of put everyone into the sure, Star Wars yeah, okay. universe. If uh, the study of DNA is Star Wars, that's, that's, that's what we okay. are. So this is, we have set the stage, Watson is Palpatine, Crick is Anakin, and now we need to go back to the prequels and talk about the, the discovery of how everything came to be. Ellie, what are midichlorians? Oh, dear God. <laughs> that's No, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're... I think you went too far into the metaphor, Nick. <laughs> so how... If, if the, the story we're told is that Watson and Crick discovered the, the double helix, what is the actual history that doesn't get told unless you actually, you know, do the research yourself? So I, I want to actually go all the way back to the first time someone figured out that DNA was a thing. Mm -hmm. This is before we even knew that DNA was hereditary. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. Uh, so 
I can't keep a straight face while you do this. So Friedrich Meiser is the first person to look at DNA. Mm -hmm. And he found it by extracting material from white blood cells found on infected hospital bandages. And, and when was this? When did he do this? This was like the early 1900s. 1900, okay. Um, I don't have a great a great date on this. Okay, I was just trying to, um, yeah. And so, but this is, yeah, this is way before Watson and he, Crick. He just like, he took it under a microscope or like what it, what accounted for a microscope in those days or yeah. how did he, okay. This was, this was basically an experiment and all that he said was mm -hmm. DNA is a thing. We have okay. no idea what it does, but it's found in the nucleus. So, we know where it is. We know it's a part of the cell. Did, did he have the term DNA or did he just say, we know there is something in, in us that allows us to pass down a genetic lineage? Yeah, so he, the uh, the person who discovered the components of DNA, Albrecht Kossel, mm -hmm. is also credited with coming up with the name okay. DNA. There we go. Um, I think Friedrich Meiser called it like nuclei or something. Some German sounding stuff. Similar. I think nuclei is like, it stands for like in the nucleus. Nucleus! Probably. Yeah. That's probably. I want to get the it. exact translation right for our German listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Don't send us hate mail. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, so these these guys were the ones, and so Albrecht Kossel was the one who figured out that there's base pairs and then a sugar phosphate just in there. Okay. He's like, it's made up of these things. They're in there. <laughs> there's there's something we have. These are its components. I don't know. What more do you want from me? Right. So science said a lot. Expand. We, we weren't able to like take pictures of it because it is very small. Sure. Yeah. And so with a microscope, you can see cells, but you're not right. going to see DNA. And we just didn't have the cameras that were able to like go that microscopic yet. Right. We weren't taking pictures, sure. but they were able to do experiments where they isolated mm -hmm. different compounds. That was okay. a lot of a lot of experimenting, especially in that era, was isolating different compounds and trying to figure out what stuff was. So made it, was, of. it was back then. It was basically just proving the theory right that these are the compounds that make us us. Right. No, oh. we still didn't oh, even still know didn't that DNA was hereditary. Oh, okay. This was actually a big argument in the scientific oh, okay. field is what's the hereditary molecule? And for a while, everyone thought it was protein because... Yeah, we talked about this on a previous episode, didn't we? I think so. I don't know if it was on... Oh, on, maybe this might have been off my On or off, but okay, I definitely well. talked to you about this because... Um, there are more amino acids than there are mm -hmm. base pairs. We just have our A's, T's, C's, and G's for base pairs, but okay. there's, oh, I should definitely know how many amino acids there are. I think uh -oh. there's 23. <laughs> Can you do a quick Google or are you just going to put that out in the I'm, world? I'm going to potentially just be wrong <laughs> okay, about that. Right. There's a, there's a much larger number of amino acids Got than it. there than, are. Than everything else. I used to ha know the name and structure for all of them and now I don't. Too far gone. That's how school works. We're going to say 23 and me. Because that's okay. That's definitely wrong. That's probably where I got that number from. <laughs> <laughs> you may need to look it up. I'm gonna feel terrible if I don't. How many amino um, acids are in DNA? Let's... No, no, there's no are, amino oh, no, acids I'm... in DNA, <laughs> Nick. No. Say what I need to Google, and I will give you the answer. Just give me how many amino acids are there, because so I learned about this in biochemistry, which is about five years ago for me now. And, how many amino acids? Um, just twenty. Just twenty. Just I was 20. okay. I was close, but definitely, bad. definitely got twenty three from the twenty three and me thing because that's how many um, pairs of chromosomes there yeah. are. So that's okay. That's the at least I have a reason. Now we have um, the correct. We understand both the mistake and we're able to correct it. Exactly. Look at us being good journalists. So there are twenty amino mm. acids, and there are four base pairs. So it was thought that four base pairs couldn't possibly contain the complexity for human life. So it okay. had to be the proteins and the amino acids. Got it, okay. We now know, of course, that that's not true. Yeah. Um, but the person who figured that out was uh, a scientist named Chargoff, who also discovered uh, there's a couple of different rules for how DNA works. Okay. So he discovered that DNA was the hereditary mo molecule by comparing, like, protein and DNA and figuring okay. out that DNA was the one that was inherited. And, and was, he was weren't. doing this through like different genetic 
excuse me, different genetic lines or how... Do you, do you know, I guess I'm asking, do you know what the experiments it was, are? It was more about looking at, like, uh, if I'm remembering this correct, I'm not going to remember okay. this experiment well enough. That, that's fine. I, was, um, I was curious to know, like, how we got there, but if we don't, if you don't remember... Then yeah, so they, they weren't actually able to, we weren't genotyping anything at this point. So okay. they weren't able to look at, like, oh, this is hereditary, because mm-hmm. they weren't looking at DNA like that. Okay. Um, so if I remember correctly, there's some kind of, like, passage through different membranes and... Okay. Um, so they were they were literally like the stability just, of the molecule as well. Yeah. So just because of the limited technology they have, they were still able to observe like the different cells and how they were kind of interacting with. They these. were basically able to figure out that DNA is transferable. Got it. Okay. And it transfers much, like it transfers from like vertically. Yeah. So you can pass it. It's heritable. Okay. Versus proteins are not heritable, and, and so, that's the difference. And so then that opened up the question: How does it? How does this get passed on? Like, right? That was was that their next question? I mean, I think we kind of knew how it got okay. passed. And so the big thing that was happening is we still didn't really know what DNA looked like. Okay. Um, and so Chargoff had a few rules. So he's also isolating the different base pairs and looking at the composition and found that the number of A's and T's were equal and the C's and G's were equal. Okay. So they were like, these, these two probably go together. Something lines up. There is clearly a balance being created here. Yes. Between these, these pairs. Yes. Um, and then James Michael Creeth, this was actually only a few years before the Watson and Crick paper discovered that there mm. were hydrogen bonds as well. And so okay. that's what binds the A's and T's and C's and G's together. Is, is that, uh, was that sort of the information that was necessary for the findings that Watson and Crick later published? Like, was that kind of the, was the, the last piece of the puzzle before? It was not the last piece of the puzzle, but mm. it was very, very close. Right. Because finding out that there were hydrogen bonds between the base pairs means that that was probably on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so up until that point, there were a lot of different models, and some of them had the sugar phosphates on the inside and the bases on the outside. Right. That's actually what Watson and Crick were thinking about was a triple helix okay. that had the base pairs on the outside and the phosphate on the, on the inside, inside, which is not what, even com- close. Completely wrong, and they um, needed somebody else's look or research to... They, they still didn't have a picture of mm-hmm. the structure itself, so like we okay. needed a shape. We still didn't have the yes. shape. There was all kinds of different shapes that we were thinking we, about. We know there is something that is carrying this, but we do not know what it looks like and how it is like structuring the the way we are kind of built and exactly created. so now that enter us, yeah. rosalind franklin and maurice wilkins mm-hmm. into our story so a picture of the structure of dna that famous double helix mm-hmm. picture that i'm sure at some and point we all saw in our classrooms it was, was in a taken. movie it was in the spider-man movies a lot they when peter parker got bit and the the spider gene wrapped around you don't remember that in the first spider-man what the, the, not the with Tobey Maguire in the first one. Oh, I've never seen the Tobey Maguire. <gasps> They're good. I've seen the I've seen both They're Garfield really... and Holland, but I've never seen Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. I, personally, I like Holland as a Spider-Man better, but I I would I accept the argument that the uh, ones with Tobey Maguire are arguably better made movies. But that's just because they're like standalone stuff and they're not like part of the full. This isn't what we're talking about. The point is I learned about DNA from watching Peter Parker get bit and then the spider DNA wrapped around his his double helix and it gave him his powers. And I think that's how science works. Yes? Dear God. <laughs> Are you saying Spider-Man isn't scientifically accurate, Ellie? Of course it's not. It's a superhero movie. Then I don't know if we can do this podcast anymore. I mean, they just... It's... Most of my science comes from either Spider-Man or Star Trek. Well, that's going to be a problem. Oh, no. <laughs> ten episodes, over ten episodes deep, and this is where we're learning there's a big difference. So, 
Rosalind Franklin was taking pictures using X-ray mm-hmm. crystallography, which allows you to look at the structure right. so what, of molecules. How, how much time has passed? I feel like we're, we're just sort of jumping ahead. How much time has passed between the, the discovery of we know what DNA is to when Rosalind's doing her research? Just to... You're saying like 40, 50 years. These experiments are okay. kind of spread all across the first part of the 20th mm-hmm. century. Yeah, okay. Um, I was just trying to paint the timeline so people understand just like, how like literally five decades of just like various people doing research and experiments over and over trying this all to... happened really quickly yeah. in scientific time i mean um, i mean 50 years still to me it feels like a long time to figure out something as important like once you've made this discovery like i'm not saying i expect it within 10 years but 50 years that's that's a lot considering that they couldn't sequence anything i think it's just... pretty remarkable what they were able to figure out about dna mm-hmm. uh, before the uh invention of you're just sort of impressed sequencing yeah just because before all the like more fancy like computers we have or uh, cameras to to take smaller images a lot of these were like test tube experiments which i find very i'm just like that's incredible the amount of like inferences that we can make without that these scientists were able to make without actually seeing dna to me is really incredible like so is at this point does rosalind does she have the better camera quality is she or is she still working mostly on so she was she wasn't the only one using x-ray crystallography but she was the one she was taking pictures to try to get a look at the structure of dna okay and what it actually looked like it's like if we can get a picture that's Mm, the winner right there and um she was finally able to do it and take that picture okay um and I know that there, if I remember correctly, there was some kind of departmental talk that she gave that gave mm-hmm. us like a, she definitely had this picture and was talking about the double helix. Okay. Um, but she wouldn't show Watson and Crick the picture. They were working in the same lab, right? They weren't working in the same lab. They were in the same department. Same department. They were kind of okay. in the same circle. Okay. And the, um, the only, so kind of jumping back, the only frame of reference I had to, from, from Watson and Crick, we talked about this quickly off mic, uh, there is a, a Jeff Goldblum movie one of my teachers made me watch in biology class, and it's, I don't remember a lot. I, I won't pretend like I probably wasn't reading a book for English class during a lot of the movie, because I, I felt like that was more important at the time. But from what I remember, it's, it, it really focuses on Jeff Goldblum as I think Watson, and it's like they just, Frank is there. She may or may not have been a love interest. I think that was, I think, no! I know, don't, it's one of those, again, this was like, close to a decade ago since I've seen this movie but it was definitely one of those I think they hinted like there's I, I'm pretty sure I remember a scene of at least like her and Jeff Goldblum like drinking wine together or something oh. and he, even then I was like I don't know shit about this woman I don't think this happened it didn't yeah. <laughs> I feel like if anything even remotely had happened James Watson would have put it in his book so yeah. we'll get there <laughs> just a nice little personal brag for himself yeah no that definitely didn't happen okay. um and so I think the the part that I, I really want to focus on the fact is that her collaborator Maurice Wilkins mm-hmm. uh, stole her picture. Oh, and is that was how it got to Watson and Crick? Yes. Hands. So oh, he okay. gave it to Watson and Crick, being like, "This might help you out a little bit." Do other than and... latent misogyny, do we have any guesses as to like was he mad about something? Was shit not going his way? Is he just a, a petty little person? No. Um, we don't know why. We, we he know just that sucks. there was some. There was some. And again, so a lot of this is secondhand. So right, unfortunately, okay. Rosalind Franklin died um, of cancer relatively soon after making this discovery. Okay. So we, 
one of the hardest parts about this controversy is that we don't ever really get her right. side of the story from a first person perspective. It was just from all the people she was working with kind of coming out years later saying, hey, no, she, she did this stuff and they didn't. Well, it certainly wasn't her collaborators who right. all got a Nobel Prize without her. Right. Um, which would be Watson, Crick, and Wilkins. Oh, all Wilkins she, got in the Nobel he Prize. Did. Oh, okay, so there we go. Um, that already answers my so question, they, I think. Yeah, so they once they had the picture of the double helix, the three of them published a paper detailing this uh -huh. double helix and the full model. So Rosalind Franklin didn't discover the full structure of DNA, but mm -hmm. having that double helix was the final piece of the puzzle. Right. And Watson and Crick didn't do any experiments. They just put all of these other experiments together into mm -hmm. this paper that ended up the, being the correct structure. It's sort of like, and this is going to be a more bastard, ah, oh, can I work it in the Star Wars metaphor? It's almost like if BuzzFeed created a like top 20 like Star Wars gifts and tried using that to write their own scientific paper. They're not actually using any of their own work. They're literally like copying notes from better writers and better people. Maybe they shouldn't use Star so, Wars for better writers. But... I would say that like there's a lot of valid science mm -hmm. that needs to happen in that way. Like yes. there are people who need to take a multidisciplinary yes. approach and bring a lot of experiments together. Science should be collaborative. I, I do want to stress that. Rosalind Franklin's picture at that point was unpublished. Mm -hmm. And they didn't make her an right. author on the paper. Right. Which is part of where I'm like, oh, they scooped her. She's in the acknowledgments as doing x-ray crystallography work and that's all she's the only not, she gets. she's an acknowledgement she's not a co-author on the right. paper so to me that's like the first sign that they were trying to diminish her role mm -hmm. and this, um, i think that's maybe the thing to stress in some of this is science is, is very clearly a collaborative thing where you need to work together and look at other people's papers and stuff but the the big offense here is that i'm guessing Rosalind probably had plans to publish this eventually and was trying to figure out her, like ways so that she could get her own name out there on this discovery yeah. and, and it... she probably would have published with them eventually exactly. because yeah. Wilkins Watson and Crick were all friends with mm -hmm. each other and so the yeah so the the only thing I will give Watson and Crick credit for is synthesizing all of mm -hmm. these experiments together in the correct model they did do that right but they didn't do any of the actual legwork around that but model. there were a lot of discoveries that went into that model that mm -hmm. I feel like we don't talk about right. so everything from Chargoff to, um, see, I can't even remember their right. names, which is not okay. Right. Uh, to, so you, you have Meiser and Kossel and Chargoff right. and Kreef also need to be on that list like, of... All their models were used by Watson and Crick to get the full picture of the double helix. But because, and this is, you know, a little bit of me editorializing because uh, their own egos to some degree... They felt like they needed to put their names first without crediting the actual work done by the people kind of ahead of them. Yeah, so I think in, in particular, I I see, you know, all of the other mm -hmm. con collab con contributors with those experiments had published work. So right. they were able to have that work and cite it properly. It's really, I would say, Rosalind Franklin is the one that got scooped, mm -hmm. and her contribution has been diminished because of that scoop. So if if Watson uh, is Palpatine, this is Palpatine taking credit for every single battle that happened on, like, Tatooine or Geonosha, and saying that it was through his might alone that they were able to win these battles. 
trying to continue the Star Wars metaphor. You're giving me a blank look, I, and I'm trying I, to I continue I don't think I know metaphor. enough about the like the details of the prequels, and I didn't watch Clone Wars, so I, I don't know if I can really like. I'm not. I was, I'm not going into deep. There were fights. There were battles on other planets, and it's like if I mean, you know, like what happens in the real military, where the general says it was my brilliance alone who solved this thing, and it's like yes, no, it's... it was the hard work of like all the people you. Like and you're just like, writing them out of this story. That's that's exactly and it, that's exactly what's going on yeah. here. Is that it's it was very much there was this narrative of these two men bravely made this mm-hmm. model and they're the best scientists ever. It's like no, there were twenty other people, including this woman whose like discovery that got stolen is directly responsible for their work right. being anything worth looking at. And so it's, you might as well call it other people's work just assembled in a collage. Yes. Which I, again, and I will say that there is mm. like. There's merit to that. And there's, and there's incredible science that's done that way. You mm. need someone to synthesize yes. all of those things. My issue with Watson and it, Crick is that they the deliberately yes. didn't give credit and that they deliberately pushed one of their collaborators out because she was a woman. I have read all of James Watson's book and feel right. pretty confident in saying that a lot of why she was pushed out was because mm-hmm. he found her to be an annoying woman and he mm-hmm. didn't like her at all because she was do, mean to him. I was going to say, is this where do we want to start getting into his book? I feel like we've covered a lot of the, the science aspects. I feel like we've explained the discovery of the double helix and how it got to that point. And I feel like you are really anxious to just start dunking on a book that you don't like. I feel like it's time to enter the let's dunk on James Watson section of this episode. So why don't you like James Watson? Because he's a terrible human being. And we're going to dive into why. So when it comes to just his book alone, even Francis Crick... The mm-hmm. co-discoverer, the, co- yeah. the co-scooper of the discovery of DNA, crime. referred, he regarded Watson's book as a contemptible pack of damned nonsense. And I just love that. Where, where does he, is this in an, like a, a published interview? Is he just like on Letterman one night and he's just like, oh no, that pile of garbage? Yes. He's on like some kind of interview. That's and hilarious. I say he's British. So if that helps. <laughs> I mean, just the way, that phrasing, I'm like, there's no way he's not from Europe. He's British. Yes. Yeah. And uh, within the book, he actually admits to stealing Russell and Franklin's data. Mm. And I want to say that he, if you were wondering if James Watson was sexist, the first red flag is that he calls her Rosie mm-hmm. instead in of every. In, yeah. yeah, he calls her Rosie, and instead My of dear sweet Rosie. He yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's how you you're talk actually to, nailing yeah, it. I bet that's how you um, talk to your equal, right? You kind of demean yeah. them by calling them dear sweet pet nickname. So pretty much everyone else in there is like. Dr. Wilkins mm-hmm. or a first name. Oh, so she's, she's the only one that is. <laughs> I was at least hoping he's talking about like James, and but it's like, nope, Rosie. It's like and sometimes then doctor, you. Yeah. It's like you get you get some Francis's in there, but like it's it's not yeah. good. She is the only one who is consistently getting the shortened pet nickname treatment. Yeah, he's not calling Francis Francie in here. Like that's not that's you know, not what's going on. That'd be a better book. I'd love it to see just like an emotionally raw, honest talk about like. The long nights they spent together cobbling together other people's research and put it like just whiting out their names to put their own names over it. <laughs> um, so it's a, a quote that I would say here is that the my big evidence here is Rosie, of course, did not directly give us her data. 
for that matter, no one at King's, which is the, the college they were working at, realized they were in our hands. So if you were wondering if they stole her data, the answer is yes, because James Watson he said they it. did. He said it. Yeah. He said they didn't know we had it, and, you know, that didn't matter because we had the information that we yeah. needed. And he, it, it's also very much like his journal type of events. Mm. So there's some quotes about them going on, like, a night out during the phase where they were discovering and mansplaining genetics mm. to... And to, everything to women. To poor Rosalind, and that's, yeah. No, to, ev- oh, to women. every. They, they were women. like, oh, got we it, go on a it. night out and we're so smart and we explain things to women. And uh, I love, there's nothing I love more than the idea of like two confident nerds who are like, you know what's going to get me laid tonight? If I explain the deep, complicated process that got me to the idea that our DNA, wait, wait, honey, where are you going? And also, I, I just find this another quote to be very funny. It's like, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. So certainly the worst way to go out on a night was to be told by a woman to refrain from venturing an opinion about a subject for which you were not trained. He's like, I can't believe she told me to stop talking about things I know nothing about. She told me she was in like, uh, you know, the medical field. And I was like, oh, no, no, you know, I bet I can solve these questions. She's just like, you shut the fuck up now. Yes. So yeah. He got shut down for mansplaining and was really upset about it. And I was reading this book. There's paragraphs devoted to him being upset or I'm getting gonna, called out. I have been rejected by a great deal of many women in my life. I, I assume that number is going to grow the older I get. I don't plan on putting that in whatever book I eventually write about my life. That's just, that doesn't feel like a detail I find fascinating or I think my, any readers would find fascinating. I mean, I found it hilarious. I, look, I was certainly entertained reading that part of the book. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> look, I'm glad he put it in. I just can't imagine the arrogance where it's like, you know what people will find fascinating? The times I got rejected by women for being too damn smart. That's what people want to know about. Well, I think that that was his thing. Is He was <laughs> like, I'm so smart. I was talking about things I didn't know anything about. And for some reason, a woman who was an expert in that got mad at me. <laughs> Oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> it's, why are why would a woman think she's an expert in anything? That's that's Watson's vibe. That's like, yeah, if that you makes want sense. The, so I also wanted to go through the um, the sequel versions of Watson and Crick, the, if we will. The cut ahead to thirty years later. Okay, let's cut ahead to Rise of Skywalker, Watson. And so Watson Lo, after Watson speaks from the dead. Ugh. The Fortnite promotion tool we just started is suddenly now canon and important and he's back. So after getting his Nobel Prize, he studied cancer. He was faculty mm. at Harvard University from 1956 to 1976. Do you is is it fair to assume that like just because he has his name on such an important paper, he was basically allowed to work wherever he wanted for as long as he is that a fair assumption to make? absolutely did he get tenured right away it feels like well it was also the 50s so you could get tenure by having a phd and oh. walking into an office and just being like this office is mine for life now and that's how easy it was to get tenure in the 50s and all those people are still in those offices still yeah. being there i'm not saying it was like easy to be an academic oh, back no. then but it was certainly that the atmosphere was right. incredibly different especially if you were a, a white man yes yes Abs- oh absolutely yes. that's like yeah he was a white guy with a Nobel Prize, he was going to be able to do whatever yeah. he wanted. Uh, and he was also the head of the Human Genome Project until, which was in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. until he left over differences with the director of the NIH. Is that the one where they're like assembling all the DNA to like freeze in Alaska or wherever? So the Human Genome things? Project was the first time we attempted to sequence a full human genome. Yeah, okay, all right, I didn't mix um, things. Okay, and it was 
it took 20 years and cost millions and millions of dollars. Okay. And now we can do it for under $1,000, <laughs> which is absolutely incredible. In less than 20 years, it, a genome went from being a multi-million dollar project mm -hmm. to uh, under $1,000 per genome. I mean, go science. Yeah. I can sequence uh, my reduced genome. Do you even need to write a do. grant like for that at yeah, this point? Yeah, you do. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, you still need to write right. a grant. Um, just getting ahead of myself. Well, and a lot of, you're not sequencing a single individual at this point. Sure. Okay. I, I sequenced over 3,000 for mm -hmm. mine. Not whole genome sequencing. Right, right. We did a reduced representation. Um, but I, we were able to get the sequences we needed for like 400 individuals nice. for about $1,000. Right. It's insane. Um, just, it goes to show like this technology, or both this discovery was really important. And, you know... It has gone in such crazy ways since, like, these people, like Watson and Crick, have kind of slowly let their hands be removed from any projects, it sounds like. Right. So, I mean, once the once that we had the structure of DNA, genomics mm. exploded right. as a field. Like, this was a huge turnaround. And that's it's why they're changer. talked about yeah, so it, much, because this discovery was a game changer. Um, so, I, so, the Human Genome Project was another game changer. Mm. It's getting to the point where we could map a genome required a lot of um experiments to you know be able to start right, sequencing yeah. DNA. Makes sense. Um and so Watson was involved in that um but Until he, he wasn't he wasn't. And I, I will give him credit for this one. He didn't want there to be a patent on the human genome. Okay. And that's why he left. So he might be kind of sleazy, maybe a little lazy and quick to steal credit from others. At least he's not a full-on capitalist. But I, I, he doesn't believe in patenting DNA, which is something that I agree I, with. I was going to say, so, I can't hate that. Yeah. He was also the director of the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory from 1968 to 2007. Okay. Now, that 2007 date is really important because he didn't leave voluntarily. He was fired for making remarks that were so racist that he had to be fired. Do I'm guessing we don't want to really get into that stuff, but I mean, it's... You know, a, a lot, talking about how much things have changed in terms of genome stuff in 20 years, a lot has changed culturally in America. So for somebody to say something racist in 2007, it's got to be fucking wild. Like, I, I can't imagine it, it, like... He said a lot of stuff since this as well. That's so he's doubled worse. down. There's, he, he doubled down it in 2019 oh good recent um yeah he stated that there was a link between intelligence and race which is of course oh, false. jesus oh, but he wow. said that in 2007 that's why he got fired okay and so like because in, that's in those prevailing years he has only ever like doubled down on that ideology yes Holy he said shit. it again in a documentary in 2019 good like he's God. on camera right, saying okay. it so and then, no shame. And after that was published, the laboratory revoked all of his titles and severed every any good. remaining tires they had with him. So that is good. Good for Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything else about their legacy, so I don't want to say like that they're. They fired him, and that is a good thing. And yes. That's all we need to talk about. And he was just an all-around jerk. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to find quotes of him being a just a terrible human being. Um, Any choice in, ones you want to read, or you just do you want to keep this sort of light as we? I will just say that he's it, he is worth googling if you want just some of the mm -hmm. worst things a human being has ever said. Uh, I mean, everything from people say it would be terrible if we made all girls pretty. I think it would be great, like genetically changing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what we need to do? We got to take out that ugly gene. Have y'all thought about that? That's that that's is his, his that's whole, his whole thesis. His whole thing. Oh boy. And there's just some there's so many just horrible things. Um I want to sorry. 
I just can't imagine like having the balls to just be like, no, no, no. You know what the the biggest issue facing humanity is? Too many ugly people. You guys notice that? Got it. We gotta end it with that. Well, he's he he feels very strongly about that in a remarkable way, and it's also on uh, camera saying that he doesn't hire women or uh, people who are overweight. Good. Um, and it, that's and, just the like, and we're not gonna dive too far into the. All, all, all of I'm this. gonna say is, all I was gonna say is, and people wonder why it's hard for like women to get into STEM and other research jobs when, again, this dude was at fucking Harvard. For, what was it, 20 years? I forget the exact, but, like, you know, he had his tenure there, and this was the dude in charge of making, like, the decisions of who is going to be the next generation of scientists and the next gen... Like, and that shit... I think we've talked about this in, in other stuff. That stuff, like, it trickles down. It does. Like, And all of his grad students, you know, I can't imagine a, that he hired anyone who wasn't a white man. I was going to say, like, but I it's a lot of white dudes. It, it probably, probably exclusively. Mostly, yeah. um, like, I'm sure there was maybe one or two, like, minorities or, like, people of different ethnicity coming in just so, like, you know, up until that 2007 remark, he can pretend to save face. But, like, I, that's me giving him a lot of credit and a really big leash. So Yeah, it's... He is terrible and bigoted mm. in pretty much every single option. Like, if you want to go down, there's a list of horrible things he said about mm. every marginalized group in existence. And Boy, it, it's real unfortunate a person like that still owns and possesses a Nobel Prize, isn't it? <laughs> he doesn't. What? This is... I'm going to bring this back up to a light. If you're really mad at James Watson, which I'm mad at James Watson about once a week... Mm. Uh, all I have to remember is that after he was fired for being a racist in 2007, mm. no one wanted to hire him anymore because of all of the stuff that he said. Shocker. And he had to sell his Nobel Prize for money in 2014. Do we know what it went for? Like, that's kind of my morbid. I'm I'm so morbidly curious about, like, what a Nobel Prize goes for. I think it was for. millions of dollars. That makes sense, at so least. He did get a lot of money I'm sure from he it. did. I was, I was hoping it would be, like... 10,000 at most, but millions make sense. No, he got a lot of money from his That's Nobel Prize, but he did have to sell his Nobel Prize because he was broke. Good. I mean, it's, you know, I, I want to be clear. I'm sure there are a lot of scientists out there who, you know, due to unfortunate circumstance, also had to sell their Nobel Prize to make ends meet. I think it's okay to laugh at this person doing it because he is a shitty human being and deserves mostly bad things. Yes. So, dunk yeah. on him. Um, so, we've spent some time just... Hammering home the point that James Watson was the worst. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth talking about Francis Crick as well. There is a lot less information about Mm -hmm. Crick uh, post Nobel Prize. Like if you, it sounds like he was smart enough to keep his mouth shut in a way that his partner was not. Except to say that his book was Watson's book was stupid. Which thank you for Francis Crick. He he gave us the one great quote. Yes, he also passed away in two thousand and three. Okay. So he's had a lot less time to, like, embarrass himself and prove that he is out of touch with the times. Yeah, so part of why there's nothing about Francis Crick responding to Mm -hmm. any of these, uh, to James Watson's Rise of Skywalker level of villainy is that... I'm just imagining, like, if he had made it, like, getting that call and being like, what do you mean my partner... He said, what? You want me to say, what? Is me responding to this going to make things worse for me? Yeah, it's a lot of... He's... There's not, like I said, the, when you look up Francis Crick, you mm-hmm. hear about him getting the Nobel Prize. Sure. And after that, he worked on theoretical neurobiology. Okay. And there's you know, a lot of different aspects of that. 
Um, and he worked at the Salk Institute for Biological Sciences literally until he died okay. in 2003. Allegedly, he died while still editing a manuscript. So he was one of those dudes. Yes. Like, he, he worked to the bones. Done. I want to make it clear he, he died of cancer, but he was mm-hmm. editing a manuscript when it happened. And that's Good like the him. lore I mean, around. I, I'm glad he at least isn't as publicly a nuisance as Watson, but I mean, you know. Still yeah, a dude he, who stole his work, but at least he had, acknowledges he it. He still had some bad views. Yeah. Um, but you I know you've got some of he had some stuff about religion I know you weren't thrilled to hear him talk about. Yeah. It was it's, it's a lot of it is it, like I said, it's quieter, but mm-hmm. I do think he also held some views that sure. were that are very unacceptable. And I think when you talk about legacy and the way that you wanna mm-hmm. remember people, I think Along with their scientific discoveries, you need to talk about their the things fallings that they... and their shortcomings. Exactly. Um, and these two, uh, they came up pretty short. Yes. So, I mean, because he also was certainly yeah. uh, and, you know, sexist, and yeah. there's some things that he said on record that are... The um, nicest thing you can say about Crick is that he was at least decent enough to kind of coast off his success and not make any public fuss in the way that Watson did. Which is like not, that's not an endorsement. I'm just saying right. he was less openly a shitty person. Take that as we, you will. We have less on camera <laughs> of him saying just some of the worst things you've he heard. He died before everybody had a camera in their pocket, so we weren't able to record him yeah. saying the horrible like racist, sexist stuff that he just because of the time he lived in unfortunately probably you know because of what we know about his career exactly he got his you know the biggest discovery of his career was you know from scooping a woman and diminishing her accomplishments yes um but also his house is called the golden helix and i just think that that's great all right that's all right i have to respect the man who does all right okay i don't haven't forgiven you at least you're pretty cool about naming shit i just wanted to end talking about both of them with just like a fun fact Uh that'll make you a little bit happy and that crick named his house the golden helix so if you ever come across something deplorable that francis crick said and or if you're just mad at watson and Mm -hmm. crick for you know what they what they did throughout their lives they gave us the golden helix francis crick named his house the golden helix and watson had to sell his nobel prize because he sucked so those are the two good things about these men that's like if you want to like just bring it back together um and just have that little Mm -hmm. bit of petty joy there you go there we go that was a really in-depth conversation did we did you get everything you wanted out of it i I feel like i i got i'm getting a little bit of catharsis from just Mm -hmm. being able to be mad at them for a little while you've been holding on to that like this was one of the first episodes we knew we had had planned and something you really really wanted to talk about i've been upset about watson and crick since i was 14 years old i want to make that very i was in my mom's (laughs) biology class and we watched mm. a documentary about Rosalind Franklin and her x-ray crystallography and the fact that she got her work stolen. Right. And I have been mad about it since I was a sophomore in high school. So this is you finally making up for it. Your, your mom was good and smart and put on a nice documentary about Rosalind Franklin. My chemistry teacher, who looked a lot like Heisenberg from Breaking Bad, showed us the uh, Jeff Goldblum movie about yeah. Watson and Crick. We watched Rosalind Franklin, and then I went through genetics, and every single genetics class I took, they were like, and Watson and, and Watson and Crick discovered DNA, and I would just write no on my notes, and I would just be mad about it. Mm. I would edit it on tests, 
as well, I would be like, no, they didn't. Here's, b- b- and, before, we, before we wrap up, I guess my last question, I really, I have to know, did you ever get marked down because you like replayed and were like, no, Rosalind Crick did this on a test or anything? I, so I would only do it if I knew the teacher was going to see it. Got it. Okay. And I would just, I would like circle the Watson and Crick thing, but then cross it out <laughs> and say, they scooped Rosalind Franklin's data. Got it. Okay. So no, they didn't. All right. <laughs> Okay, I guess um, I guess we're going to end on that. Your rant is over. Uh, I feel I feel better, and I I guess feel like the the moral lesson of this is, if you're going to be a collaborative scientist, be a collaborative scientist. Collaborate. Yeah, collaborate. Work with your colleagues. Don't call them stupid nicknames, and don't steal their data. And then no one will want to roast you on a podcast in the future. And I um. guess with that, this has been an everyday dissection. I'm Ellie Viza. I'm Nick Lemmer. <laughs> An Everyday Dissection is hosted by Nick Lemmer on Twitter at Lemmer underscore Nick and Ellie Weiss on Twitter at All Allele Ellie. You can find the podcast on Twitter at eDissect and on our website, anchor.fm backslash An Everyday Dissection. Our theme music was written by Evan Zobel and our art was created by Madeline Hend- Hendrickson, who you can find on Instagram at art that is no bueno. Like our podcast, please leave a review, and don't forget to like and subscribe. And here is where we normally do a nice, fun little science joke, but uh, after talking about it, we decided Watson was enough of a joke to science on his own.